All right, today we have Dr. Shyla Shower on the show. She is a naturopathic doctor who graduated from the lovely school, National University of Natural Medicine, which I graduated from last year. And today we're going to be talking about yogic philosophy, current times, healing traditions, and much more. So uh, how did you get into the healing routes? What brought you into the more kind of alternative, so to speak, realm of health? Yeah, so I got into the alternative side of health. It was a long about road to um, finding naturopathic medicine and going to medical school. Um, I originally was very active in politics and in undergrad, I studied political science. Um, and after graduating from school, I did a business fieldwork project in China studying their healthcare system, and then moving to DC. And I started working for a United States Senator on Capitol Hill for about five years. Um, at which time I thought I wanted to do healthcare policy. I was so interested. Um, we were, uh, I was there during the affordable healthcare bill. So that was super eye-opening for me. And so at the same time, I was kind of going through my own health journey, as you would imagine, like a young 24 year old working a very stressful job. Um, and just eating really bad and going out every night and going to like these galas. And um, I remember we had like a heart health event. Um, they, they were talking about heart health. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go over my lunch break. And I went in and my blood pressure was like 240 <laughs> for 180. It was like crazy. And they're like, we actually like, can't let you leave. It's so high. Wow. And <laughs> I, yeah, it was like, it was, it was um, pretty severe. So that was the beginning to learn that I had some health issues going on. Um, so of course, like I went to the doctor and their suggestion was obviously hypertension, medication, statins, um, and antidepressants, the usual. Um, and I just wasn't taking that for an answer. And so being really interested in health, I was going to all these health events and they stumbled upon the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, who was doing a lot of work around diet and lifestyle affecting your health, which at the time was the first time I'd ever heard this, right? It was a mind blowing, thinking like your nutrition and your stress level impact your health. So I left um, a talk that they did and I went vegan. I like went home, went vegan. Um, I'd been going to like a gym and yoga studio and I just got really into yoga um and start again just started like taking control over my health and learning my body and just starting that sort of journey and seeing that medications like in hindsight thinking about it I'm like why would you give a 24 year old all of those medications that they have to be on forever with not once talking about asking me what's going on in my life mm -hmm. and, um, or just kind of even like assuming as we do as like practitioners, like, Oh, you're just really stressed out. That's okay. Here's some hypertension medication. Like instead of, especially like as a young person, you know, I would have taken so much to heart someone talking to me about just how I was living my life. And, um, so anyway, so started going on that journey of my own health and just became so, involved in health and wellness and getting into the affordable healthcare bill 
and realizing we were talking more about insurance than we were about health outcomes Mm -hmm. and having a bunch of different people coming in and kind of talking about where they thought health in America could go was fascinating. Again, especially when I'm just diving into how nutrition plays a role and nobody's talking about that. So, so yeah, so that kind of became my journey. And I knew that I was going to leave the hill. Um, One day we had 60 minutes or something in filming and they asked if I could do an interview about what it's like to work on the hill. And my response was no. And they're like, what, what do you mean? No. And I was like, no, I have yoga in like 45 minutes. I got to go. And they were like, you'd rather go to yoga than be on a nationwide news story. And I was like, yeah. And it was like, (laughs) like, yeah, it was like this like pivotal moment of like, I matter the most to me and not this like continuation of rat race of like clout and like power and money. And um, I had a lot of really close friends at the time who were very smart in chemistry and biochemistry. And I started taking night classes, probably the only Hill person to be going to night chemistry classes. Um, And I decided to leave the Hill and try to get into medical school. Mm. So the healthcare system in general, most people agree that there's uh, so many issues in it, in the way that health is treated, like the general... Mm -hmm. Uh, idea that our lifestyle doesn't matter that much and or it's not the main form of treatment, like what we eat, how we think, you know, who Mm -hmm. we spend time with, um, etc. I always wonder about this uh, topic of what is keeping the healthcare system in the state that it's in? What do you think are like the biggest reasons why the kind of uh, general healthcare field does not address diet um, or doesn't have time to, or is not educated on those matters. And it falls uh, a lot of times to so-called alternative health practitioners to focus on things which are incredibly common sense and are the earliest foundations of medicine with, you know, Hippocrates and, and physicians before that. What do you think are the biggest limiting factors? What are the issues and where can the healthcare system move uh, that would be good for health? I yeah, guess. I think that's a multi-facetted uh, question. And my first thought around it is that there's been this monopoly of ideas of what mm-hmm. medicine is in Western ideology for so long, where, um, like myself included, if I wasn't going to take a medication, if I wasn't, I already have these expectations of what I think the health, what a doctor is going to do for me. Mm. And, um, it's not designed to, um, educate necessarily. And so I think we've monopolized or not us, but somebody down the road has monopolized the idea of what is medicine, making anything that's not that an alternative And so I think that ideology as itself has kept us in this exclusive reductionistic model that's clearly not working. And we're not making space for other practitioners to come in and say, hey, I do something different. Sorry, are you there? Yeah. Um, I do something different. And um, it's also medicine, right? And I use this example. One time I was very sick on an island in the middle of nowhere. And, um, I 
I drank a Coca-Cola, which I don't really drink soda. And it like brought me back to life. And I'm like, everything has its medicinal value, right? Like even Coca-Cola. When, even Coca-Cola. Which like, this when podcast so, is uh is sponsored <laughs> by from now on. <laughs> but so this like idea of um the time and the place mm. for everything. Um but that doesn't make money. So I think until we structure the medical model that's designed, not necessarily in the affordable healthcare attempted to do that, um, but missed the mark significantly um, to show better outcomes versus just prescription, which we know like in our clinic, like in primary care setting. So the, the hurdle to the primary care is that if we don't code a certain disease or diagnose or don't give a medication where our reimbursement is going to be different. So mm-hmm. if you come in, you're like, oh, I'm having these GI symptoms. Um, and I suggest like a very simple, you know, solution around eating habits and bitters. And I don't diagnose you with anything. I don't give you a drug. My reimbursement on that from a um, insurance base will maybe be $15. So if I give you more diagnosis, we run all these labs. I find you're also pre-diabetic or, you know, all these different diagnoses. It makes the case more complicated to the insurance company. And then the reimbursement becomes higher. So all of our incentives are behind prescribing, diagnosing. Um, And when you try to do something different, it is first off not time conducive. If you're only seeing a patient every 10 minutes, you can't do it. Um, and then you also aren't getting reimbursed for it. So the whole system is not designed for that sort of way of thinking. And it's kind of just set up for the pharmaceutical companies to be successful. And I mean, we even see this with the the language around it. Like when you talk about medications, you talk about side effects. Well, there's no such thing as a side effect of a medication. There's only effects of the medication, but we make up this word to make it seem like, oh, that's not going to happen to you. That was in our main effect. Um, where, you know, like with herbs, what are our side effects? Like lavender, uh, sometimes you burp up lavender and that's lovely, but that's like our side effects, right? So the whole ideology, which we're all holding on to, um, around what is real medicine is not beneficial. And then the systems in which we're paying practitioners is not set up to monetarily compensate for basic level interventions, even if it's just education. Right. So I, I can't agree, uh, more about that. Uh, the influence of how insurance currently works uh, in this country, the influence of uh, big pharmaceutical companies who do great work and help a lot of people, but also on the other hand, they are a company and their main motive is to make profit. And uh, when you have all these different forces working on the uh, health of a person, you get situations where the profitable thing is done before the thing that actually is good for health, which always uh, ends up very disastrously specifically in the field of medicine, because really the whole goal of medicine or healing is to make the person, you know, feel better, be better, be healthier, live a better life, uh, have less disease, et cetera. But when you have um, this very complex uh, system in place where practitioners are kind of forced into practicing a certain kind of medicine, 
they get reimbursed in a certain way by insurance so that, you know, it makes more sense from a business model to do only 10 minute visits rather than hour visits where you can actually really ask about everything going on in the person's life. Um, and, you know, you could hardly get somebody's diet in 10 minutes. So, so yeah. it structures the visit in a way where it's, you come in, you list out your symptoms and they give you a medication and then it's on to the next one. And the really sad part about that is that a lot of um, uh, people within the healthcare system, like nurses, MDs, um, et cetera, they didn't get into uh, medicine to do that. But no. there's so many pressures on them from all these uh, huge forces that have a lot of lobbying power in creating the legislature, which continues it on, that it kind of, uh, in its essence, healthcare in general is not about health because of all the profit motive. And I think that's what we're seeing. And like you said, it's very multifaceted. There's a lot of mm -hmm. different areas where it comes in. Um, mm -hmm. So what's, what's the kind of uh, solution, so to speak, to it? Is there any uh, changes that could be done to the healthcare system as as uh, a whole, or is it really up to individuals, um, MDs, NDs, DOs, chiropractors, uh, Chinese medicine practitioners to just do the right thing? And hopefully that influences. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a tough situation that like you're talking about. I mean, if you sit down, if you get a diabetic patient, if you sit down with them and talk about diet and lifestyle and you talk to them for 20 minutes, now your entire schedule is screwed up. You're also getting a different reimbursement like we talked about. And guess what? The hospital, the clinic staff is going to be on you. Like, you know, so you have like all these pressures and like all the charting and making sure you're charting appropriately to get reimbursement. And there's so much stress put on the practitioners that um, it's just, yeah, it's so unfair that, you know, these practitioners are trying to do good medicine. Um, I know from my perspective that a lot of changes have to be made within that system. But I also think getting to a different place where we're doing more of a, not necessarily fee for service. So the ways where my clinic set up is that I see everyone for an initial visit of an hour and I get paid the same amount for that visit. No matter if it's a complicated case, we give a treatment, we do a labs, it's always the same fee. And that I think really works the best because then you're not having these ultimate incentives to mm -hmm. prescribe more, make things more complicated. Um, and you can sort of work with where the patient's at. And I think, you know, you sit down with a new patient and you need to talk to them for at least an hour to talk about everything that's going on because we are also living in this old reductionistic model of like, Oh, I'm having hypertension. It's my heart. And like, my heart is this pump and the pump isn't working when we know now. And what science is telling us now is like the heart is a sensory organ. So it's sensing things that are going around and it's also not working as a pump. And we know that, but we're still participating in that old sort of narrative because it's how it, goes right so they're also in medicine there's different in my perspective there's different levels of treating and on the very basic physical level right which we could do herbs we could do drugs we could do physical medicine 
But that's still only one way of looking at the human body. And that's through this very physical form, which it absolutely is. But there's also other tiers of what's going on in a person. And sometimes those could be mental, those could be emotional, those could be spiritual. Um, And we need to make room for all of that. And the current model does not even talk about any of those, right? Even if you're seeing someone who's having mood disorders, it's like, go to psychiatrist, here's your medication. There's still no like deeper dive into what's going on. A lot of, they'll do counseling, which is so great. Um, But starting to look at these things a little bit differently and then being like, hey, maybe this is something that's like a very spiritual thing for this person. And I will work with them on the physical body and supporting them through that. But also let's get a better team. Like, are they religious? Let's get a priest. Let's get a shaman. Let's get another person on board for this person. It's sort of like a team collaborative care Mm -hmm. instead of just assuming that there's one way of doing healing and it's my way. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, and I think like, even that's a beautiful thing with natural medicine and what we do. It's like, we help people build these teams and we're a part of the story. There's things that are treated very well with medications and specialists in those fields and how can I be a part of that team and work with that provider and along you know and even on the spiritual route and so I think just making room for that at the table is where we need to go in medicine and kind of stop all claiming to our own ideologies on like what is right and what isn't because everyone's healing story is going to be so different it's so true that uh it's like the holistic viewpoint that there's so many complex factors that go into why somebody has a disease and to assume that it, you know, must be the one that your specialty happens to deal with is kind of short-sighted because um, even in the field of uh, uh, mental health, which is my primary uh, focus right now, uh, you know, someone comes in, they have anxiety, right? The typical conventional approach is you either send them to, uh, well, first you do like risk assessment. You make sure that they're safe and these kind of things. Then you send them to like a psychiatrist for medication or counseling. And mm-hmm. those are pretty much the two main uh, methods. However, if you have somebody sit down with that person and really uh, figure out their story and what causes their anxiety, uh, what else is associated with it, you might find out something like, well, you know, their diet is primarily the cause of their anxiety because they, they eat so much sugar that their mood Mm -hmm. is swinging constantly. And then they Mm -hmm. take all these uh, stimulants uh, like, you know, they, they smoke cigarettes or they, you know, they smoke cannabis all day long and uh, they kind of treat themselves in some sort of way that makes them feel better temporarily, but actually, Uh, continues this cycle. And then you go even deeper and find out, well, their diet is this way because of emotional traumas or because they have bad digestive issues that they just don't feel good unless they only eat carbs. They feel really bloated if they eat anything else. And it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's no, there's no one right solution for anybody. Um, And, and that one particular case is just for that person, for another person, the anxiety might be more related to their neurochemistry. Maybe that person benefits more from like a temporary medication while they get the counseling and everything set in place. And maybe, you know, uh, another's comes from, well, they're just sedentary all the time. I mean, if you don't get any physical activity for like a year, 
you're going to be anxious and depressed. Like that's just a fact. That's just how the human body functions. So Mm -hmm. I think the idea of this holistic approach to health is probably, as you were saying, the the most important thing. And I love that Mm -hmm. idea of having like a team of people approaching it from uh, different angles and discussing. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that's missing in the in the current uh, medical model uh, Mm -hmm. today, I see is that there's a lot of antagonism between the professions. Um, Mm -hmm. As you, as you were mentioning before we started this podcast, that when you were uh, working on a legislature in North Dakota for uh, naturopathic doctors, there was uh, members of other professions uh, actively opposing naturopathic medicine, even though they didn't really even know what it was. Mm -hmm. So like, meanwhile, Everybody, any good doctor, healthcare worker, et cetera, their main goal is to help people get better. So it's not in the interest of people for uh, different kind of uh, groups that do other things better and that working together, you know, have a synergistic benefit for the patient to be, you know, talking bad about one one another when really we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to work to improve people's health from different Mm -hmm. angles. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, the holistic sort of model is where we need to. And I think that honestly comes the most from shifting our perspective of practitioners, because of course it's our innate inkling to defend our turf, right? To like defend what we do because it works. Like everything again works. And I think when we start to respect all of these other fields, like there's, I mean, there's fields that I have no idea what they do. And like, even in Chinese medicine, you know, I'll see patients on a Chinese medicine formula. It's like, I have no idea what those herbs are. Um, but I'm going to assume that the practitioner knows what they're doing and I can see kind of their idea of what they're treating. So I think being open to the idea that we don't know, um, and that's really hard in medicine because we want to be so scientific. We want to have all of the facts. We want to back up the facts. And, you know, we can have all of the data that we want in the world. But we, if we see a patient that's sitting in front of us, that's not responding to all the data that we have, then the data does not matter. Like, and we mm-hmm. have to not be attached to that. We have to not try to push like, oh, this is what it says is going to work. So it has to work and be able to scrap it and say, let's try something else. And so I think there has a lot of humility in that. Mm. And us as medical practitioners, maybe humility is in our strong suit. Mm. And that's where the, the idea of uh, healing or medicine as an art and a science rather than mm-hmm. just a science is really important because yeah. that's one way that. Uh, the healthcare field is fundamentally different from a lot of professions is that there is not one truth. The only truth is that which works and many things can work for many different Mm -hmm. people. Some Mm -hmm. things that are the truth of working or are thought to be from research don't work for certain people. Some things which are thought to be not backed by science work miraculously for people. So just keeping that open mind, I think is, is super important. Yeah. And I think being more attached that, and that's how I am as a practitioner. It's like, I'm attached to outcomes, not what I think is going to work. So if I think my treatment's going to work and the patient is telling me it's not working, then it's not working. Yeah, like exactly. I want my patient to get better. So like having attachment to that as the goal, um, it really shifts the way that you start practicing because of course you want to be like, no, 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 no. I I've studied for so many years, this is going to work. Right. And so just sort of trying to 
facilitate that and like within all of the pro- professions and getting out of this perfectionism and yeah back into that art and start talking about how it's called practicing medicine because you're always practicing like it's always you're always learning things are changing the people in front of you are not your textbook cases and that's okay because they're their own people living their own lives Mm. but how do you navigate through that Mm. and um and it's gonna take a team like no matter how good you are like it's gonna take a team and it takes the person showing up right and also being open to what it is that they need it also takes a lot of a lot of work too i mean it's of course it's way more profitable and you know marketing 101 of selling something to someone who doesn't really need it is convince them that they do need it and that Mm -hmm. it's going to be very quick very easy and it's the way that you know it's the secret way that no one knows about Mm -hmm. that's really quick you just take this pill, you put it in your mouth and that's it. You don't have, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have that issue. Whereas, uh, you know, the same diseases that take 10 years to form, uh, you know, may take a few years or even longer to recover from. And right. to think that there is like a quick fix for anything. Mm-hmm. It, it's common sense that like any deep issue in life or society in one's relationships, it's not like there's mm-hmm. no, easy solution. If it was easy, everyone would do it all the time. And then we would have no problems. Yeah. Um, Well, I also think going into like the reduction, reductionistic thought behind it is like everything that we also talked about, but then also this idea that things are good and bad, hmm. that disease is bad and health is good. Because I think what, when we again, take that away, it's like, what is your body telling you about what needs to change? Like it took me having severe hypertension and depression to order to be like okay this job isn't working like I'm too stressed out I'm not happy and it took that in order for me to stand up for myself and so it's such a beautiful gift that we have been given if we can start looking at it that way and start seeing these things as messages from the body trying to get our attention, right? It's like if I overuse my shoulder, my shoulder's going to start hurting because it's going to say, hey, I need a break. And so our body is telling us what it needs and yeah, showing up for that long journey. It's That's a, that's a, actually a perfect segue for uh, something else I wanted to talk to you about since you've been very interested in pursuing yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, how Where does where does yoga fit into this idea of health? You brought up this idea of there, you know, your body speaking to you. Is there mm-hmm. a fundamental lack of awareness of that body speaking that is kind of at yeah. the root of the problem? And I how think, does yoga address that? Yeah, I think yoga is has been this beautiful tool for me and it can be for a lot of people that gets you into self-exploration, right? Whether it be physically or emotionally, mentally. Um, and it creates that space. And so I started yoga 16 years ago. Like I think a lot of people start yoga where it's popular, it's a workout class. You want to go, you know, get a physical workout in, um, and that's great. And that's a good place to start. But then, you know, after the 16 years of doing it, it's about physically challenging myself along with mentally challenging myself. And the way that I was trained in the style called Hatha um my teachers are very um about intense form right it's a very intense form 
And it's about, and for me, it really works well. And that's the thing like with yoga is that I see so many different cool types that work for different people, like Ashtanga. I try to get into, it's just not my style, Um, but it really works for a certain type of people. So finding again, what works for you. Um, But yeah, so my teachers are very about, it's the moments when you want to move and get out of that uncomfortable position that you get to meet yourself and you get to see how you react under stress. And so we go to the yoga mat or I go to the yoga mat, you know, to practice all of these things that come up in life. So being in positions that are discomfort and breathing through them, right? And learning the discomfort, learning from discomfort versus pain. And learning all these like very basic, like balance, grounding down, using your breath, like exploring your body. And so the practice has been physical, emotional, spiritual for me. Um, And it's just really transformed, I think, the way that I view, I mean, the world. (laughs) But um, and it's such a good teacher because you show up every day for yourself. Um, and you learn more about yourself and sitting in that meditation and yeah, exploring what's going on. And, you know, like I wasn't doing that before when I got, um, sick working my job, I wasn't, I was too busy about, you know, going to the next party or see, you know, going to the networking thing or that kind of stuff. So it's given me tools to self-explore and learn about what works for me. The the aspect of so for for me, I throughout my life did not necessarily think that I would get into healing field. When I was in uh, when I was in um, university, uh, I was studying philosophy, Eastern philosophies, yogic philosophy, mm-hmm. like Buddhism, things like that. And I was really just focused on like meditating. Really interested in these ways of thinking and the feeling that I got when I was more aware, more calm, less unconscious, um, that just naturally brought me into like, all of a sudden I started carrying what I put in my body because, you know, I was just more aware of everything happening in my body. So when I would eat like some crap, like I would feel it way more. It was like, before that, it's like, I almost was like oblivious to the fact that if you Mm -hmm. eat like this and this and this, like, it doesn't do that. It doesn't really affect your health that much. But when you become aware of it, you notice like, oh, wow, like after I eat this food uh, for too long, like I'm just tired all the time. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I eat like this or I do like an intermittent fast, like I feel great. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, everything and then, you know, some herbs that can help and mm-hmm. then like the effect of exercise. And it's almost like to some degree to do truly a holistic work in terms of um, improving your health. The first thing is really just learning how to be aware of your body, learning what your right. body's trying to tell you. Um, and then, you know, having, uh, having the wisdom to actually act, uh, act on it in a, in a way that's effective. And I, I think that's where uh, natural mm-hmm. health practitioners uh, can help a lot is uh, giving like the, the information for how, uh, the patient or client can go about the process, the encouragement, the understanding of why it's important, uh, kind of leading right. along the way. But at the end of the day, uh, holistic medicine is really about the person who has that issue working on it with help. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in within the general system, it's like you go in and the doctor knows more about your health than you right. and just gives you something. Meanwhile, uh, 
you know more about your health than anyone else if you learn how to understand it because your body speaks to you all the time in a way that lab tests will never find in a way that no one can see from the exterior. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the big spoiler alert, right? Is that you do your healing. Like, you know, I think that's the thing, again, we don't want to admit as practitioners, but any healing work comes from the person doing it. Like we can give you all these tools and we're here as guides, but at the end of the day, it's like, whether you do it or not, you know, and you do the healing is up to you. And I think like, that's the thing too, with yoga, it feels very similar. It's like, okay, here are the guides, here's the tools to do the practice, but like whether or not you show up and do it and whether or not you like what you learn on that journey is going to be uniquely your own. And nobody can do that inner work for you, right? right or it's that about, physical work either. They can, they can yeah. show you this is the proper posture, this is yeah. proper form. These are great right. breathing techniques to do to right. go through the discomfort, et cetera, et cetera. This is the mm-hmm. mindset that goes along with it that helps one become more aware. But at right. the end of the day, it's just, you know, that person and their mat or them outside that has yeah. to has to do it. Um, well, and like from a physiological perspective too, you're training your body to be under these moments of stress. And so your heart's racing, right? You're under these like stressful poses and you're breathing. So then the next time you're at your job and your boss is yelling at you, you're still in that physiologic, like stressed out state, but you now know how to breathe through it. And so these trainings have a lot of practical use, like just from the body and healing itself, but they're also just such good tools for self-exploration in general. Throughout your yoga practice, what are the, I guess you could call the spiritual aspects that you've learned, like uh, insights you've had about your life, uh, things of that matter, things that are not like necessarily physical, but mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think one of um, the coolest moments I had was in a meditation um, and I was doing like a lot of lot of yoga and it was a group of us and we were chanting and the, we stopped chanting and I, we were just meditating and I heard the chanting come back and I thought, huh, like we were supposed to be done. Why didn't everyone quit chanting? And I realized it was like the universe oming back to me. And it was kind of like this like lesson of karma, like what we put out comes back. And so that was just amazing to just like hear the universe chanting back to me. And then the next day I was like, yeah, let's do that chant again. Let's do that chant again. It was so cool. So um, we did the chanting And the same thing, I kept hearing the chanting after we had stopped. And then there was a local mosque and the mosque went off and they were doing their prayer. And it was kind of like this extra teaching of everything is energy and it comes back. And sometimes those prayers that you put out will come in a different form. That it's not necessarily going to be exactly what you put out, but it'll come back. And I think that was just a really cool place that I was at in my meditation. and. Um, one of, yeah, a really good teaching moments, but there's been, there's been so many that just come from like very like seamlessly benign practices, like one counting down. Like, I don't know if you've ever done this, your meditation, just like very like easy, like countdown, 
I think I was doing like 13, 13, 12, you just, you know, count down. And I could never get it because I was keep getting distracted. So I was like, this time I'm going to get it. This time I'm going to get it. So I was counting down in my head and I was at like three or something. And this fly buzzed in my ear and I was like, (gasps) and then I was like, damn it. Like this was my (laughs) time that I was like going to get it. And it was kind of this like teaching moment of no matter how diligent we are, if we let mindless nuisance jibber jabbering in our space, it will throw us off of our goals. And it was like, that was kind of like the teacher. It was in that fly, right? Of like, don't let this stupid fly distract you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish. So I think it's like a very, it was a very good teacher in like the drishy, like the focus. And that's something too, I think has been really important for me in my personal life of like, what are the goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And staying dedicated to it. Mm. For me, one of the um, most intense kind of like aha insights Mm -hmm. from uh, breath awareness meditation Mm -hmm. um, was a few times getting into very, um, very deep meditative states when the, like the thought they call like the monkey mind stopped running around distracting. And I just got more and more aware of nothing in particular, just mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and then coming out of that state. And then as you kind of go about your day, all the old patterns start coming in, right? So all right. the thoughts, typical, oh, what am I going to do? And, but the interesting thing is that the thoughts would come up, but I still remained in um, some like fundamental awareness that I had this like direct direct experience of I'm not creating my own thoughts. Like I think Mm -hmm. that these thoughts are me, but they're, um, they're just like a cloud passing. So if it's like a negative thought, it's, I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to trail it. I don't have to fight it. It passes of its own. And that understanding that you are like actually separate from your own, in some sense, your own Uh, mental formations outside of the ones that you consciously choose is incredibly liberating, especially when you suddenly wake up in the middle of rumination, like a negative thought and you just realize, wow, I've been just thinking about nonsense for like 30 Mm -hmm. minutes. Like, I'm just Mm going to go for a walk. Like, why am I even like, what is this doing? Like, it's not solving the Mm -hmm. problem anyway. And just Mm -hmm. having like that awareness to have that distance from our thought patterns and in the field of, you know, uh, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. what often isn't talked about that much, uh, at least from the medical degree, um, uh, medical perspective is the, the, the thought pattern basis of it. Like how does, how does like, what happens when an anxious thought comes up? If mm-hmm. the thought's anxious and you get anxious and trying to resist it, you spiral into like a pattern of anxiety. But what if you're calm, the anxious thought goes up, you feel it a little bit and, but then you do nothing. You just watch it then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's not anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. So the, our, you know, everyday thought patterns are so important. And what you were saying with the chants and ohms, it's like, mm-hmm. I think of it as like almost programming the patterns of your mind. Yeah. So when you like repeat to yourself constantly positive things, um, you reprogram just the, the uh, automatic process of the mind. Like, it's almost like optimism is something that you can train 
If every yeah. time you get a thought like, oh, I'm worthless and I can't do it. And you like agree with that. You, mm-hmm. you like that becomes the truth. Meanwhile, right. if every time you get a thought like that, you challenge it. Like, actually, no, like I can I, I can do it. I believe in myself. Like it yeah. doesn't have to be, you know, like lying to oneself, but like mm-hmm. being honest about like, well, it's difficult for me, but like I, I can I can do it. Uh, and I should at mm-hmm. least, you know, try um, and reprogramming these thoughts that we get from our societal conditioning and other people. Uh, right. Like, you can't do this. You That won't be good. And yeah, so much is just about like the mind and our mentality towards, yeah. towards things. Well, it's reminding me too of, um, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, uh, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who did the biology of belief. He's just so fantastic and wonderful. But he talks so much about this, about the unconscious mind. How about a couple percentage of the day we're actually in our conscious mind and everything else is the program running. And where the program comes from is the first seven years of our development, right? We learn how to be a human. We learn all of these rules that go along with being a human from observing and watching. So that's all going into this program system up to the age of seven. And then from there on out, only a small percentage of our lives are in conscious thought And that's what these meditation, these breath works are, is about either retraining that program that's unconscious. So when you're in these sorts of like states that are triggering, are making you anxious, you, sorry, my dog's being a little, she's like, you're making me anxious. Um, But so anyway, so then reprogramming that. And I think that is the tool that yoga and meditation is such a gift to the world that we live in now because we're not taught that in school we're not taught anything really about self-regulation even from a nervous system response right like if we are experiencing some sort of trauma right right the instinct is fight flight or or fight flight flee or freeze and so and as a child, your only response is to freeze, right? You don't get the fight or flight options. And so all of this trauma is stored in the nervous system somewhere. So you'll see a lot in like the yoga practice too. You'll be in certain poses and you'll kind of have this emotional release and you'll be like, oh, I have no idea what that was. Like I'm very... And it, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is like it moves through you. So there's this nervous system training that we're also doing in the yoga practice that we weren't taught a lot of us as youngsters um, because they were too busy teaching us how to do math, you know? So um, I think it's this valuable tool that is really good for kiddos and adults and, and taking control over that unconscious programming instead of laying, letting this narrative play out for you in this life that is not yours. And, you know, we were talking a lot about, or a little bit about the, the ideology too of um, the, you know, even looking at it from gender being like, okay, like what is the programming that's been giving to me uh, what it's like to be a woman and like feeling oppressed and, and what I can and cannot do and realizing at the end of it, if I succumb to that, then I'm letting the program continue the cycle that I'm ultimately against. And so getting into that unconscious mind and redoing that program, and that is some hard work because so many things are going to come up and you've got to sit in them and you've got to go through it and try to 
because you know most of us that pro like that programming is just there right we don't know like we'll do something in response to something we'll be like oh I don't know why I did that like I don't know where it came from I don't know who taught me at a young age to suppress my anger or to violently throw a punch if I'm angry so so it becomes very personal and important but really tough work you know we, I always joke with my friends, like, if you would have known that this journey and the spiritual journey was going to be like, it wasn't just like a fun, like, oh, yeah, I'm meditating and meeting myself and everything is great now. It's like, there's some times that are super shitty. And like, there's mm. some times where you're really going through some like, tough stuff. And you're also going through losses of the old you. And like that, that old you in relationship to others. And so mm. I think in that journey, we can just encourage one another, but also have so much compassion for like, it's tough. But if we want to start taking control over our lives, instead of allowing programs that have been programmed into us. And you know, the, the thing too, a lot of them comes from like cartoons, things we watched on TV, like all that's designed to program us. Like that's why it's called TV programs, right? <laughs> so, um, so having like compassionate for yourself and I think finding practitioners that work with you because we're also in this new world too where in the past they had gurus or they had teachers and you just worked with that teacher um for good and bad we don't live in that world and so we get to sort of self-create what works for us and what doesn't and we have access to the internet where before you had access to whatever your guru told you right so we have this opportunity to use technology in this way that is unlike any other spiritual journey we could have ever imagined, or we could go, you know, Netflix and chill. So mm -hmm. it's like this, like very interesting world that we're in right now. That personal uh, responsibility aspect mm -hmm. of, of that is, you know, all of the solutions to all our life's problems or society problems are there. But the question is what, what will we work on in ourselves and, you know, for our community um, mm -hmm. and beyond and uh, meditation yoga are such great skills of just learning like basic mind training. Like how do you kind of cope with hard emotions? And when, when you sit down to meditate, you're saying that, maybe for the first time ever that you will not run from the problem. You will try to see what it is and you will try to seek out what you can do about it, if anything. And really mm -hmm. the, the main practice isn't when you're doing the yoga or when you're doing the meditation, I think right. it's what, how you live your life, how you apply what you learn and your skills you train in your life. That's really when the big insights happen because you yeah. know, you can, meditate for three hours every day and feel very enlightened, but then mm -hmm. act in exactly the same pattern and right. nothing will ever change. Maybe you'll just right. be more aware of how, in fact, you might actually be even in a worse state because you'll mm -hmm. just be aware of all the anxiety, but you won't mm -hmm. do anything differently. So it'll just, it'll just be more painful. You'll just be more aware of right. the issue because increasing awareness is not selective. If you increase your ability for introspection mm -hmm. awareness, you will experience more of the good and more of the bad. And if, mm -hmm. if one's actions are consistently leading to the bad, that's kind of like the dark night of the soul where mm -hmm. 
suddenly one's life starts coming apart because one starts seeing almost too much at once of everything mm-hmm. that, um, you know, ways one is falling sh- uh, short and things like that. Yeah. And I think that's another reason too, why I've loved the yoga and meditation practice, because, um, I think that there's a tendency, um, in certain people, especially like in the West, like we don't have a lot of time. We don't really want to commit to a lifelong practice. You know, we want the quick, like, give me some like DMT so I can shoot up there and like learn where I'm supposed to learn. And I see a lot of people like using those drugs recreationally as to get those enlightenment moments, but they have no integration tools. So it's like, I don't think that those things aren't useless or useful. I think if you don't have integration, that's when you can also start losing your grasp on reality Mm -hmm. because you're not able to integrate these higher knowings into what that means for your life right here, right now, Um, where the physical and the yoga and the breathwork practice kind of allow you the tools of, for integration to take things on when you're ready and not force them onto you. Um, And that was just something that I think I've been seeing maybe a little bit more lately because people are, I think, wanting to escape a bit more and like shoot up into those other dimensions. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like if one's goal is to get to the top of a mountain, right? You could take mm -hmm. a helicopter and it'll bring you there and you'll get the beautiful view and everything, but eventually the helicopter has to take you down. But if one actually goes physically up the mountain and goes through all the struggles that it takes to reach there and goes back down, then any other mountain of life, one has the strength and the skills Mm -hmm. that, brought one there to actually apply whereas uh and you can acclimate to the weather because you know what to expect you know you know like you're not just like going up to the top of the mountain on this high um altitude that you haven't prepared for you didn't bring a jacket like you know what I mean so if you're going up at this consistent rate you know what to expect and you kind of can prepare along the way and be like oh this is a altitude I need to stop and rest at right and so Um, Yeah. And it reminds me, I had this um, woman say to me once, it's easy to be the guru on the top of a mountain. It's tough to come back down and go into the city and put to use what you've learned. And I think that that is this moment that we're coming into now of all these people who've been doing this like spiritual work, like for myself included, where it's like, oh man, it's so nice and quiet here and I made it here and it's so great. I don't want to go back in the city where everything's chaotic and people are like, you know, living differently than I am. And um, I think that that's the era that we're in now is taking those practices from the mountain and bringing them into our lives and what's going on and learning to make that everyday life the spiritual practice, if that makes Mm. sense. Yeah. uh, I fundamentally view um, psychedelics and those types of substances as they're uh, they're tools, potential tools Mm -hmm. for some purpose, but they are not the medicine or the solution in and of itself necessarily. A lot of times it shows you a glimpse of what is possible. It Mm -hmm. shines a very bright light on everything that one did not see, but really that chemical effect wears off and one is still in the exact same situation as they were before, but now they just have more awareness or maybe they have some 
memory of how things could be different. Sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes right. one deep psychedelic experience and suddenly one becomes aware of this simple fact of this mode of consciousness that we're currently in is just one mode of consciousness. Right. And there's all these different tools like yoga, meditations, mm-hmm. diets, mm-hmm. et cetera, that can uh, shift you into a mode of consciousness that you actually enjoy being in. And that mm-hmm. the state that one is in now does only because we grasp so tightly and are so afraid of letting loose of it is why it stayed in. And that experience really just shows you what's possible. It just shows mm-hmm. you um, what can come, but it does not last. There's a saying from Alan Watts that I really like uh, in reference to psychedelics. He said, um, when you get the Uh, when you get the message, like the telephone message, hang up. Like Mm -hmm. when you finally understand what it is that they show and teach, hang up the phone and and go, Mm -hmm. go do, go do the work. And that's how Mm -hmm. I view um, psychedelic Mm -hmm. experiences and Mm -hmm. the integration and especially the application of Mm -hmm. the things that we saw to be true in those States and see if they are true. Maybe they're not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I like that. So how, as a, as a naturopath, how do you integrate these uh, mindfulness techniques, yoga into somebody's life who's uh, coming to you with some health concern in general? Yeah, so it really depends on the person, right? Like I said, there's a lot of times where um, we're just talking about the physical body whether it be the pharmaceutical um botanicals or some sort of dietary intervention i think once we begin to start talking more broadly about what health and medicine are right instead of just being like okay i know everything i'm right here's your drug now you're (laughs) fine go on your way and we start having this conversation around like well what's coming up for you around that like you know just kind of going through and talking to the person about their life um, in itself is bringing a whole new realm to medicine, giving someone an hour to talk about, oh, you're having these GI complaints. Like, let's go through this thorough like list of what I'm thinking about could be going on as a, as a way for me to see how I'm going to treat, but then also as a way for them to self-explore. So I kind of look at it as, like again, teaching yoga, like you can come to my yoga class and you can be like, okay, that was a good physical experience. I loved it. Or you can be like, wow, I learned all these things about me and I'm going to get more into meditation and like go off the mat and do all these things. Um, but sort of giving people the tools to have a better understanding about their body and do education around what's going on. Because I think once you can start understanding a little bit more, even how providers are thinking about your depression or your anxiety, right? If you talk about, you talk with your patient around, oh, you know, I really think your depression's highly um, regulated by serotonin, which is made in the gut. And it could be because of this inflammation we're seeing due to your diet. These are the tools we're going to give you. And this is why, like, I've seen this a lot with depression, even when I give, have given a medication coincided with it. When I talk about the dietary and how we're making serotonin and what the medication that we're using is doing, um, and how we're going to use these other tools, 
to make your own serotonin and kind of put that power back on people and be like, these are all tools, like your body's doing this and we're going to do the education around what's going on. I think it's, it's so much more empowering. And I think that is, you know, kind of the, the awareness and the deeper sort of level of treatment that I want to bring is like a little bit more of the, this is what we're doing. There's education around it. Um, and just get like, how is the person feeling about it? Right. Like there could be someone who's had a diagnosis of Crohn's disease and it's devastated their life and it's impacted the way that they go out to eat or the way that they gather with their family and like holding space for all of that and be like, guess what? We're probably going to treat it on a very physical biochemical level, but holding space for all that emotion that goes around with that diagnosis and that disease and letting it be and letting it kind of be in that discomfort and being like, get it out and being okay with myself instead of being like, no, 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 this is uncomfortable. It's, you know, this is yours. Go home and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Like allowing that space for everything that wants to come out to come and being okay and grounded in myself to not take it on, but allowing it to be there. Mm. If that makes sense. It does. Uh, holistic medicine is so individual and everyone's right. healing journey is so personal. So when, um, when healthcare approaches health in terms of purely statistics or the averages, mm-hmm. everyone is left out of it because everyone is, everyone's cause of any named disease is going to be slightly different. And Mm -hmm. I I like what you said about the just awareness of bringing out the aspects of health that maybe, uh, maybe that patient or client has not actually laid out. Right. Like I've heard this said a lot of times when Mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, diet. How do you eat? And they Mm -hmm. say, Oh, I eat well, I eat vegetables. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I began asking specific questions like, well, what do you eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner? What did you eat yesterday? What did you eat today? Uh, Or even bring in, you know, um, like a diet uh, diary slash journal in. Um, And uh, people are just amazed, like at all the things that they are not even aware of, like, oh, wow, like I ate like three cupcakes today. Like I that I did that at all. Or I, you know, I only drank a glass of water today. I thought like I was very well hydrated and Mm -hmm. to actually uh, bring awareness to the truth of the situation that one, it's very difficult to be aware of unless you're tracking it, unless Mm -hmm. that person's tracking it. But I view the, uh, just the medical interview aspects Mm -hmm. of the visit as a way to help that person process and think through things. Sometimes uh, just listening is uh, the most therapeutic thing that could be done. If somebody has a serious problem, sometimes just being able to talk it out for 15 minutes, um, they know what they need to do. And all mm-hmm. like our role is, is to guide them along that process of self-discovery of let's outline the problem, let's outline mm-hmm. the solution. But really fundamentally, mm-hmm. only the only that person can know what the right solution is. And we all know what the right thing is to do. We just need to bring it out of ourselves. So mm-hmm. this idea of like the doctor, the healer as, you know, some super elite that knows everything about health and they hand down these, you know, commandments of health 
upon right. people. It doesn't make any sense because uh, oftentimes just you ask a few questions and that uh, the patient is just like, oh, oh, duh. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. I, I eat McDonald's right. three times a day. No wonder I feel like right. shit. I'm just not going to do right. that anymore. And it's right. much, much right. less effort than uh, the other route, which is, oh, well, you know, you need to eat better. And like, you know, that's right. bad for your health. And now right. you're getting right. this and that. And then they go away. They already knew that everybody knows mm-hmm. eating McDonald's three times a day is bad for your health. Um, mm-hmm. But do they know why it's bad for their health? Do they know what it even means to be bad for their health? Do they know mm-hmm. it means that they feel like they don't have any energy and depressed, that it's like a real right. thing? Like health isn't like some right. abstract giant that lives, you know, in 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 the woods that comes yeah. around every once in a while. It's the minute to minute experience of your life is your health, right. your mental and health, do, your spiritual yeah. health. And getting rid of that shame. It's like, okay, if you have this old patterning or this old programming around like oh I really stressed out dang I'm gonna grab fast food and go home and veg like don't bring shame to that like if that's what you need that's what you need but like just learning to be aware of it and I think then and then within doing that it changes the perspective instead of them being like oh I had a really tough day oh I shouldn't get fast food this is bad and like adding all this like shame it's like way worse for you than Separating just like, the morality from it. Like, yeah, because you then, eat a bad diet doesn't make you a bad person. No, uh, it just means that if your goal is to be this, right. that, and this, and this that you're doing is against that, then yeah. the, there's really no fault there. It's just, it's mm-hmm. just do what, like, if your goal is to have a lot of energy, right. then this is the way that. Uh, would better help you but it doesn't right. make you a bad person if you don't do that yeah and I think like too then then going through and writing down what are my goals and what am I willing to do that because if there's this dissonance of like who I think I want to be right I want to be this like ultra marathon athlete that runs all the time and eats only organic and um I'm not, my actions aren't that, then like you create this dissonance of kind of like self-sabotaging and you like can be so hard on yourself. Like just make the goals and the reality line up. Like maybe you don't need to be an ultra like marathon. Maybe you just need to run once or twice a week or eat and eat healthier. And so kind of matching those up, you'll start feeling better. And, um, yeah. And it just like creates this whole paradigm. Like I, I think the, one of the best tools that I would recommend anyone to even do right now is go through like a chronological of your life, like from birth, um, to now and write down your ages, like any health conditions you had. Um, or, you know, if you like got chicken pox at age six or, you know, any of that sort of stuff and then put it away and then get on another sheet and write down big life events and your age and then put them together. And you'll see that there's this overlapping sort of story that we weren't even aware of, of like, oh yeah, like when I was 13, I got really sick with, you know, stomach issues. And then look, oh, what was going on there? Oh, my parents were getting divorced. Like, oh, what's going on here? And so you have this like completely new interesting story about you and how you physically like for me Mm. I'm a big responder of stress like with digestion complaints right so like I'll get a upset stomach or that's kind of like how my response to stress is 
Um, and it takes learning all of those things, but you know, even in the clinic, when you are going through and you're like, okay, you have a history of these things, right? I like to ask, well, what was going on at that time? People be like, oh yeah, I was really stressed out. I was going to quit my job. And then, you know, I wasn't feeling good. So I went to the doctor and then I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And so these stories are so Mm-hmm. interesting right like they're all a part of the person sitting in front of you and like your yourselves too and it's just another tool of seeing how all, everything's related right so everything that's going on in our life and we're going to look back on yeah. you know the past year and we're all, you know we're going to see quite a story of disease from the perspective of chronic disease and metabolic syndrome from just the amount of stress that, you know, we've all been put under and then thinking about it again from the fight flight um, or freeze perspective, it's like, maybe some people got really good at their stress response of like being like, Oh, I'm really stressed out. I need to go for a run. Oh, I'm really stressed out. You know, like, like working through that process. Um, and now it's like, no, you have to sit in your house. So now you've been put in this like trauma response sitting there in it. And so I think we're all going to have a lot of fun stuff to be processing through over the next few decades. <laughs> so, yeah, the the whys of everything I find to be incredibly important. Of you know, if one feels like their ideal of how they should eat and makes them feel good doesn't match with how they actually do, instead of beating oneself up as oh worthless, I can't do anything, yeah. blah blah blah, think. Well, what, why do I eat like that? Do I, does it make me feel better? Does it fulfill right. like some need in my life? Like that need is valid right? and or it works even, or else you wouldn't yeah. keep doing it. It might not be the optimal solution, right. but that doesn't mean that it's not a, an attempt at a solution, which is, I think right. is really important, especially for, um, uh, especially cases of like drug and alcohol addiction mm-hmm. that society oh, yeah. in general has this, um, you know, like immorality or bad morals associated with bad Mm -hmm. people who do bad Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, most cases of drug addiction are people with serious um, uh, mental health issues, Mm -hmm. anxiety, depression. They use it to medicate and it works to some degree. It's not a lasting solution. And of course, there's many other issues associated with it. But to deny the fact that that so-called bad behavior has mm-hmm. some positive benefit is to lie to the truth. And that is why it, no solution can be found unless one is completely honest of, oh, well, I do this because of mm-hmm. this and it seems to work. Mm-hmm. Then with that openness, one moves away from, you know, kind of being a, a victim of it and blaming oneself to seeing, mm-hmm. well, oh, so what it gives me is it helps me feel not depressed. So that's yeah. why I do. Well, what else can I do that make me feel not depressed? That won't harm my body. Oh, there's right. a million options. But right. if one is just focused on stopping that thing that's bad, like yeah, you add all this yeah, extra doesn't, energy doesn't to it. No, and I think like that's a good, I heard this analogy from this herbalist that I really liked of, you know, if a patient would come to us and be like, oh, I feel like I was getting sick with some sort of viral infection. So I took some elderberry. We'd be like, great, like way to be ahead of it and like do what, you know, your body needs to get better. 
Um, but we don't look at alcohol the same, right? We can see people with histories of trauma, with all this sort of stuff that are like, I am self-medicating to be okay. Mm. And instead of saying like, you've survived, it's been, it's helped you survive into this point. Like, how can we get different tools and not bring that sort of shame to it? Because yeah, you're right. It's like, again, everything has its purpose and people are using these things, whether it be alcohol, food, drugs, whatever. Uh, even, you know, self-sabotaging um, beliefs or things that they do, um, it's a protective mechanism. And so sort of creating a safe space to explore the programming again, where did that come from? Like, what are you medicating from? Um, and, and that's what are a, the alternatives because what are the alternatives? Yeah. When one is completely honest mm-hmm. instead of just you know, saying things like, oh, I should do this differently, but you know, blah, 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 to just be a hundred percent honest about all the good and bad. And then one will see for oneself if a change is necessary or, or Mm -hmm. maybe not who's to know what is, what is right for a person other than their own, you know, expectations and goals for life. Another thing that I see. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, another thing that I like do a lot, um, is with when people say things like, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym. It's like switching that language. Like we all have 24 hours in a day. It's not your priority. And that's okay that it's not a priority. But I think once you start being honest with yourself, like my job's really stressful and the priority mm-hmm. is staying on top of that. And instead of being like, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym. Therefore I don't like you kind of perpetuate this narrative that it's like, just be honest with yourself. It's not your priority and it does not have to be. And and the why it's not priority and it comes out. Well, I actually just don't like it. Okay, cool. How do you like walking? Right. I love walking. Right. All right, just do that then. Right. Simple. Very, very simple. <laughs> right. like, well, oh, I think I should do it, but I don't want to. Okay. Then don't do it. Here's like right. this, that, this, that. Cause right. it, you know, uh, like, especially with like physical activity, it's, it's so like genetically wired into us to be a pleasurable thing that if one is doing something that one hates as a physical activity, like the dreads going to it every time, like why do that when there's Mm -hmm. more fun, equally effective methods from a purely health perspective, if Mm -hmm. one is trying to, you know, have that warrior mindset of just like push through suffering to learn about oneself, then you got to do things that suck. Uh, But it depends on one's goals. If it's purely for health, then it's, Mm-hmm. It's of course a different thing. And what I wanted to bring in before is the, the why to be healthy. I feel like that's not addressed because it's like, yeah. you should be healthy. Well, why, you know, if someone hates their work, they don't really have any joy or excitement about their life. Why be healthy? There's really no reason if you don't have a life worth living to oneself why try to improve it so really like at the root of uh, a lack of doing the things that one knows to be harmful and not pursuing the others is well like you know what is preventing me from being like excited happy about my life that I could right. uh, change to get that kind of um, why back because I don't know if, uh, if you'd noticed but I've noticed this in a lot of patients and myself but when I'm feeling really good about everything and my life and where it's going, like, it's way easier to eat healthy. It's way easier to get exercise because I start recognizing, oh, I want to, you know, everything's good. I want to like live as long as possible. I want to enjoy the time that I have. It's the quality, not the quantity too. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of, you know, doing things that kind of numb it out because it's Mm -hmm. bad. 
So mm-hmm. like it for uh, for me, it always fundamentally comes down to some kind of psycho spiritual aspect of like, mm-hmm. why is one not doing the things that one knows to be best? Well, maybe because one has not found a why for life itself mm-hmm. at some fundamental level. Because what's the point of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being more aware of your life if your life uh, is horrible in a right. lot of ways? I mean it's perfectly reasonable to be less aware of it. If mm-hmm. uh, it's not the solution, obviously that's a, that's well, a, that's a big spiral from there. But. I think you just, I mean, I think you just, you know, answered a lot about the current model system that we have. Like it doesn't, it doesn't ask questions about spirituality or your why, because the whole we're living in this time where we're being treated almost like robots, right? It's like, we don't want you to be, and this is a thing that, you know, with a lot of like psychiatric stuff, right? It's like thinking about bipolar. You don't want people too manic because then they like don't go to their jobs and, you know, they're like doing all this like other things, but then you don't want people swooping down and being too depressed because then they also don't go to their jobs. Like this is in the (laughs) DSM-5, right? And so it's like, you find this baseline that ultimately comes back to like people being complacent and going to their jobs. And so we have this mechanistic sort of machinery mentality Mm -hmm. of how can we keep you at your job working, right? Like you have this pathology and, um, and our immunology professor had talked about some research that she had done on the different types of cancers and how they respond on personality types. Is that Dr. Swicky or? Yeah. And how, um, there's a certain one that you'll see three types of people who get cancer diagnosis. One will be like, um, okay, well, let me schedule in the the treatment. I'm not going to really, you know, think too much of this. I'm just going to go to the treatment and their cancer sort of stays as a steady rate. You'll see people who get angry and who are upset and theirs will progress faster. And then you'll see a third type that will be like, okay, you know, I actually hate my job. And so I'm going to go on vacation to an island and live my best life. Or this relationship hasn't been working for me and I want to be happy. And they'll use these like moments to transform what wasn't working in their life. And their cancer actually responds the best to the the progression. And so um, I think a huge problem with the current medical model is that we're under the premise of how can we get people to be good workers, right? Like, and even with going on with the, the pandemic is that if everyone would just have adequate sick leave and would feel not guilty being like, I'm sick, I'm not responding to emails, I'm just resting. And like we had a culture around it's okay to rest, but we don't, right? So what do we do? We tell everyone to go on with their busy, stressful lives and wear a mask and get vaccinated. Like it's not, it part, it continues that sort of participation in like, but we have to get you back to your job that you hate that is just here to make somebody else's shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's this continue, like your body is a machine. And if you're depressed, it's because you have low serotonin. Here's your drug. If you're having this symptom, we'll give you this. Here you go. Go back to your life. And I think as holistic practitioners, most of us um, are dealing in that world because that world is very real, right? And people need to go to their jobs and pay their bills. Um, 
But how do we also then facilitate a conversation around the why? Like yeah. what makes you happy? Like what? Cause yeah. Cause you should have a job that you like and you get treated with respect at and um, doesn't overwork you. And that's like a huge, I think another issue, even going it back to like the policy side of medicine um, is that it also comes back to a labor issue. Like we, you know, I spend a lot of time in Europe and they get six weeks leave a year and they get it and they go on vacation and you know nobody bothers them it's not this like oh I have like sick leave but I don't really want to take it and then even if you do take it people are calling you and um we just have a really toxic work-life relationship um in the U.S. and western culture in general um which again like going into root cause is a huge root cause of a lot of these things um, so as practitioners, how do we navigate around that? And I think, again, like using tools around stress management. And I even have a tough time with that because it's like, I don't also want to get into blaming the victim. Like if I have a job that I go to every day um, that I hate and is hard on me and disrespects me and like, you know, it comes back to like, maybe you should just meditate. Like maybe I should just expect more from my employers and get a different job. Right. Mm -hmm. So or or even maybe too, maybe this life situations are such like maybe you have a kid or it's the only option that's uh, available. And the mm -hmm. best thing you can do is make an escape plan that might take six months. Mm -hmm. But that's that's important. Also, recognizing that um, typically people who are in really soul crushing jobs do not want to be in them. They either no. gave up or they just couldn't find any other options. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a way out. And I love this idea even of if, if one feels like they're in a place where they're, it's not ideal, you know, overall it's negative uh, experience. They dread going to it. They feel kind of lifeless when they get back. So they have no benefit from it. Just, finding out, well, what is one passionate about and spending like 10 minutes a day after work on it and slowly building something up and maybe uh -huh. uh, figuring out how to monetize that and then just doing that because uh, there's an immense amount of uh, freedom. But for the things one is passionate about, no one's going to push you to do it, except maybe your naturopath. But yeah. that's why yeah. you guys see a naturopath. <laughs> yeah, we had, a, <laughs> I don't know if you ever used the, the homeopathic, the UNDA formulation that they called the, uh, what was it called? It was something like badass bitch or something. <laughs> and like, they would have to always give the warning of like, you might quit your job or leave a relationship after you take this. Cause it just like, was all about like moving that like stagnant and energy. That's a, and so that's we a always great give, name for a, for, <laughs> like a, for a homeopathic. It like, yeah. It was something like that. It was so good. But I, yeah. So anyway, I like how it always came with the disclaimer, like you're going to be a little outspoken and stand up for yourself and um, establish some needed boundaries. And yeah. And then too, like getting on the, like the team aspect, right? Because no matter what you're going through in that, like even working on the Hill, I had a counselor and I would go to every week. Uh, and that was a really good tool, but you know, I remember coming in one day just crying and I was like, why won't you just tell me that everything would be better if I quit this job? <laughs> she was like, well, can you afford to quit the job? And she was, and I was like, 
I don't know, but I can't afford to come in here and cry every week, you know? And so, um, yeah. So yeah, like developing the team and support work that you need around. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, what was established is that healing is very complicated, but you should see that healthcare system as it's set up, as you were mentioning is, you know, it's, it's focused on ridding people of disease mm-hmm. and getting them back uh, functional, but anything more. And that's the realm of the alternative, like mm-hmm. being, feeling vital, feeling great. That is mm-hmm. all, you know, that's far beyond something that a surgery or a pharmaceutical could ever provide uh, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of personal meaning uh, mm-hmm. life choices. Uh, I mean, even this idea of like a job, mm-hmm. right? All it is, is that's your time. That's like eight or nine yeah. hours of your life mm-hmm. every day for however many years, like that's your mm-hmm. time. How valuable is the only time you will ever get? Like yeah. how much effort should one put into making sure that that time is spent the way one wants to spend it? Mm-hmm. Like how much yeah. value is put on something that you can't get back? I mean- well- Theoretically, they should be paying people millions of dollars to work jobs they hate because Mm -hmm. they're doing, you know, something that, you know, who does it benefit, you know, at the end? Right. Yeah. And I think it goes back to that dissonance thing of like, if you sit down, your goals are, your goals are security and safety, right? Those are my goals. And I want to make sure that I have a stable income. Um, I don't want to take high risks. And like, that are my goals, that and then like earn a certain amount of money and then I'm doing that in my job so my goals are being met even though it maybe isn't what I love um it still aligns right and so if you're like oh I really care about making tons of money and so working all the time aligns with that great but if you're like oh I actually don't and that's not in alignment then just recognizing that too. Like there's Mm. no shame in either way. I think it's all about creating that, um, what you perceive and what you want to get to and making that the same as what you're doing. And that in itself, you'll start feeling good. Mm. You know? That recognition is so important of just recognizing what one wants and reflecting Mm -hmm. on what, if you uh, just take out a piece of paper and write like, what is like my dream life look like? And just write it out. It might seem ridiculous, but just write it out and see, because mm-hmm. um, it certainly won't happen if you don't do that. But if right. you do do that, it might very well happen, uh, especially mm-hmm. with how, just how well off the Western world is. There really is an immense amount of more freedom to, for people to do things that are helpful, sustain them and that they're passionate about. In fact, mm-hmm. you will be the best worker and the, make the most money at the work that you really love. That's just a fact mm-hmm. because you'll put in more time. You'll put in more mm-hmm. effort. You could work, you know, 14 hour days and you won't even feel that tired because you'll just be so hyped up on what you're doing. And you'll feel mm-hmm. that it's important that, you know, two hours of a soul crushing job is like, you know, more tiring than 10 hours of a job you're passionate right. about and you forget about the time. Right. So it's right. really about just like that. We're uh, there's no right answer of like, you shouldn't work a nine to five because that's bad. Right, but it's like, right, yeah. what do you, what do you want? Like what's ideal. Right. And then making a plan for maybe you do have to work that job for a couple of years while you save. But like, mm-hmm. if you don't make that plan, what's going to end up like, what's the mm-hmm. worst case scenario? Are you going to end up in that job for 30 years? 
look back mm-hmm. in your life and say you, you could have diverted off at any moment, but you didn't because you were putting mm-hmm. it off. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I can't remember where I was listening to this. But they're talking about like the economic side of things and how we have a creativity deficiency because we're so burned out from these jobs that like work us to the bone. And so we come home and we need to just veg out, right? Cause we're exhausted and we, we don't come home and we're like, how can I manifest my best life? Because our job just burnt us out of all of our creative energy that we had to start off with. And so, um, yeah, it just becomes a very interesting act of navigating through how you even using your energy at your job. Mm -hmm. And the individual aspect too, like for some people just getting any old work will improve their quality of life a million fold just because of the stability. So it's like neither like having a nine to five or not having one is the answer for, for everybody. Somebody who's in a very chaotic state, they could benefit immensely from just getting some simple minimum wage work just to keep them stable, just to keep Mm -hmm. them interacting with people, make them feel like they're doing something useful, um, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So as with, as with all things in in the holistic uh, healthcare fields, uh, there's no one solution for everybody. So it's always, people are always surprised when I ask like about work, do you like your work? Uh, Like not used to the fact that that's part of um, medicine, at least from like the psychological, emotional standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's never our position to tell somebody, listen, like you should do this Mm -hmm. and that. But Mm -hmm. if you, if, when, if, when you're questioning them, it sounds like every indication is that the, the job is, uh, you know, not conducive to their health or their well being. just to ask, well, have you thought about other options? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have, but this and that. Well, have you thought about doing this and that to be able to get there eventually? Mm-hmm. And then, and then just seeing them be like, oh yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. I could totally just put aside a hundred dollars a week and, and figure out like how to, uh, one, no one will give you the choice. No one gives anyone freedom. Freedom is something that one has to find for oneself in all spheres of life. Um, and the general cultural conditioning teaches us that no freedom is something that's given to you. It's like Mm -hmm. a privilege to be free, but freedom is Mm -hmm. something you already have, but, Mm -hmm. um, is all too readily taken away by, you know, marketing companies and various systems that, basically Mm -hmm. use you as the resource. So there's no interest in you having a choice because your choice doesn't benefit whatever that system is. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, yeah. Like, and then to going back to like the yoga analogy of um, thinking about your energy, you only have like this amount for the entire day, Mm -hmm. wherever it wants to go right? But you get to control it. And if you're not controlling it, it's just going everywhere. And then you come home and you're wiped out. And so start like looking at it as like that energy source. And because I even know for me, like scrolling through social media, it's like, oh, there went energy. Oh, there went energy because it's designed to get you distracted. So then I like walk away from it and I'm exhausted because I just gave all this stupid energy out to social media that does not, it's a waste of my energy. Right. Yeah. So just kind of observing, like, where are you giving your energy to? And is it use, like, is it a good use of your energy and the intentionality um, of it having intention? Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a actually a really good point. Um, in terms of, instead of thinking about it in terms of how much time you have in a day, well, how much energy do you realistically have in a day? Because that's, mm-hmm. that's more important because if you have mm-hmm. more energy, the time you could do something in a shorter amount of time, but you can't really get back energy Mm-mm. easily, at least. Uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of different, uh, natural health things you could do, mindfulness, uh, exercises, you know, movement, they can bring back some element of energy. Sleep obviously is very Mm -hmm. important. Uh, eating well is obviously very important. It could give you a higher Mm -hmm. energy store, but you'll always fundamentally be limited, uh, not necessarily even by time, but more by what amount of motivation and effort can you realistically pump out on a regular basis without becoming mm-hmm. incredibly burnt out right within mm-hmm. like a couple of months because that's another thing mm-hmm. to consider is like yeah maybe you can do the 10 hours a day for a year but what happens at the end of that year when mm-hmm. your your adrenals are like all right we're done here sorry yeah we tried our best right <laughs> and like getting like a little out there too it's like thinking about like the new energy source is you right? Like we're going to this tech world that we talk about energy from petroleum or electrical. Um, but the new energy source is you, right? Like they, you need clicks on social media and for news to, so somebody's getting money. So the energy source is literally you and it's designed to take your energy to get clicks. So then they get money. And so being like cautious of that and just remembering that, your energy is a resource to you and other people are trying to capitalize on it. And whether that be like your job wanting you to be so upset about you not doing something right or something, it's like this, like I always felt like on the hill, um, working on the hill, it was always like running around the room and never going anywhere. But if you weren't running around and like as stressed out and as freaked out as everyone else, then you weren't taking it serious, right? But I was always just conserving my energy. And I'm like, I'm not gonna run around the room and pretend to be like the most stressed out person to make (laughs) someone else feel better. But then it like comes off that you're aloof, you know? But anyway, so like getting back into like that refinement of like, are you that type of person who you see something on social media and now you're so mad and you're going to call so-and-so and and then all this energy goes out when you could have just like gone for a walk. You know what I mean? That's so, that's so wild uh, with, especially with uh, social media uh, because uh, social media corporations make, you know, billions of dollars. Well, people ask, well, how do they make billions of dollars? Their services are free. Well, they sell a product, right? Mm -hmm. What's the product? Mm -hmm. The product is you. It's your awareness your attention. That's the product they sell to marketers who, um, for better or worse, of course, like there's Mm -hmm. nothing inherently bad about marketing. It depends what you're marketing. If you're marketing Mm -hmm. like an herb that helps with this, like, great. If you're marketing Mm -hmm. like a false quick fix, then yeah, that's not good. Uh, if you're marketing a lie that doesn't have benefit. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, our subconscious mind absorbs so much Mm -hmm. and just even, even if one is scrolling through social media for an hour and laughing and being like, this is ridiculous, still things get implanted in your mind. Like you can't right. get, you can't control this subconscious perception of things. Right. You right. Only control what you consciously think. That's just the tip of the iceberg. So mm-hmm. the, the most important thing I think we could do for our mental health is just realize the things that take away from it mm-hmm. and limit those things. If you notice every time you watch this, channel on tv you feel really anxious scared and bad after 
Don't watch it. Just turn it off. Right. That's it. Don't watch it. Don't put right. it in your head. You right. don't, it, you being angry or scared about it doesn't change anything. Like no. uh, better yet to learn about it on your own. Mm-hmm. Read, look at Wikipedia for however true it may be in certain right. aspects. Not if you look up naturopathy though, there's, there's much bias against us on that page. Yeah. If you ever want to be amazed. Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we have that choice. Like that is the only choice we have. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the choice of what we put into our minds and mm-hmm. what we put out. Yeah. That's, that's all we have mm-hmm. uh, uh, say over. Um, mm-hmm. and if we spend all of our time watching the news, we will be mm-hmm. in that mindset, um, mm-hmm. in that fear state that will, you know, keep making that news uh, company tons of money from advertising revenue. Because obviously, mm-hmm. like we were uh, talking about before we started recording, that you know, divisiveness, fearful things, those uh, generate much more attention than uh, love, for example, or mm-hmm. a positive story about a bunny. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that stuff gets more attention. So it sells. So it's in the mm-hmm. interest of that company to continue pumping that out. And then we get this narrative of the world. The world is burning. But you look outside. Mm-hmm. There's this old joke by uh, Bill Hicks. Uh, he's a great comedian, very, very conscious. And he said, I'm always amazed because I watch the news and it's like, uh, it's like war, murder, famine, war, murder, famine, just like repeatedly on the news, mm-hmm. war, murder, famine. And he's like, he looks outside and it's like cricket, cricket, cricket. Like, mm-hmm. where is all that happening? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's happening in, of course, in real locations around the world, but there's so much awareness of this that it seems like it's everywhere. But you go outside and it's for, for most of the world. And of course, we're blessed to have that. You walk down the street, you don't need to necessarily worry about anything bad happening to you. And some areas of the world, of course, some areas of this country, uh, the state, Oregon or or wherever you are, of course, there's areas where that is unfortunately the case that one is not uh, that safe. But uh, that doesn't mean that everywhere is unsafe. It doesn't mean that everywhere is safe either. mm -hmm. And going into like the like, you know, that what we were talking about before, like where the mind goes, energy flows. So if a news or social media has the ability to get your attention and tell you where to put your mind and energy, it has now put in this collective energy towards this thing, right? So whether it be fear or anger or divisiveness, now we have all this energy going there. But we can collectively all shift like that by just saying, I choose to put my attention here. I choose to put my energy here. And then we start creating a better reality because all of our energy and our thoughts are going to solving problems, not like regurging the problems mm-hmm. that we're already upset with. Not and the same we- tired our, uh, arguments about this or that issue that don't do anything. Right. Uh, instead of, as you were saying, looking for, well, what can we do to actually solve the problem? What are some mm-hmm. steps we could take today? Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you and I talking about like being natural medicine practitioners, we went into naturopathic school because we knew that there was problems with the conventional model. We don't need to sit here and talk about all those problems. We can talk about what we're doing to make to the solutions to those. And so I think just like giving, like taking back your power of where your attention, your energy goes there, you know, in that funny show that was, um, that one about the cats, what was it called? That was like really popular. Uh, it was a TV show. Tiger King. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, I watched. So like, there's like the antagonistic character Carol. Um, and Tiger King was like, oh, I don't listen to any other news except for the tiger stuff because I learned that you can only do one thing well. And, you know, for as how the story portrayed her to be as outlandish as she was, I was like, that is a very good point. Like, find your gifts, figure out what you're here to do and focus on that. And I think that the cycle that we're in right now collectively is one around like, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. And not enough people being like, here's a solution, here's a solution, here's a solution. And like putting the energy towards that. And it takes a lot because it's tough. It's so tough, especially with everything being literally targeted psychologically to get you to be like, look here, look here look here, you got to be mad, look here, look here. And learning to, it's like the fly in the meditation, right? Like, like, this is what I'm focused on. And this is over here buzzing. And with that training, you can, you're aware of it, it's there, but it's Mm -hmm. not taking your attention. And now your energy is going there. Right, right. And it's a question of uh, constructive versus mm -hmm. destructive modes, because the, the, the problems themselves are valid, but the getting right. caught in the anger, fear type cycle does nothing to change the problem. It just perpetuates the cycle, causes more uh, mm-hmm. division and, and doesn't lead to what one would think it leads to. So mm-hmm. w- once it's kind of like with that uh, psychedelic, once you get the, once you pick up the uh, call, hang up the phone, it's like, once you see what the problem is, get to work. What can I do? And not everyone can do all the work all the time. It's everyone chooses their own place based hopefully on their personal passions and gifts. Um, That's certainly what, what we have done in terms of picking naturopathic medicine and the specific Mm -hmm. areas that uh, we work in is uh, working towards the the solutions to the things that we saw as the most uh, immediate problems, like affecting the, the people, you know, literally in our family, our friend groups, our community, you know, mm-hmm. people are trying to change problems on a whole national and world state. And, you know, it's, that's very difficult, very mm-hmm. difficult. And mm-hmm. it's not, um, it, it, it takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of people working together and, um, I think the best policy is is love and compassion and understanding. Mm-hmm. And as we mm-hmm. were talking about before, um, it, the instead of uh, having an, um, instead of being against people, be against certain ideas that you don't agree with, but mm-hmm. still respect the people who have them, even if they disagree with you, um, mm-hmm. and see their point of view and see what validity it has or doesn't have. See what mm-hmm. the solutions propose, what validity they have or don't have. If everyone did that. It'd be peachy, but yeah. I don't know if that, um, there, I think there's always some element of you, you brought up a point of there being kind of like a good and evil or light and darkness, uh, forces mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the world that like one, like the force of good cannot necessarily completely ever overcome the force of evil and, mm-hmm. the, and vice versa, that there will mm-hmm. always be some element of it and that one has to work towards the good um Mm -hmm. but understand that one can't solve everything um Mm -hmm. well that doesn't mean one shouldn't try for the thing that they feel passionate about Um, right that's that's and even 
and even those antagonistic characters of the story um, have value, right? There's things that we will do out of fear that we won't do out of love. There are things Mm -hmm. that we will do when we're sick that we won't do when we're healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So like that energy in itself has value, that antagonistic energy that kind of pushes us out of our comfort zones and um, gets us to... Yeah, do things that when we're feeling nice and comfortable and we can just meditate on the mountain and everything's great. And it takes some sort of bad or, you know, event to get us all off the mountains and back into the city and doing the work that we know that we're here to do. Then that moment and that thing is in itself a blessing, Mm -hmm. even though it seemed like it was a very tumultuous thing. Yeah. And even even changing the perception of illness and disease as a blessing in disguise, because Mm -hmm. all disease or symptoms are showing you is that some aspect of your life is not, um, is not ideal. Um, of -hmm. course there's cases of genetic disorders that there's little that what Mm -hmm. one does matters, but those are very rare, um, Mm -hmm. in comparison to the most common, uh, diseases that cause mortality or disability are mostly lifestyle based, like heart disease, mm-hmm. uh, hypertension, just mm-hmm. cancer. A lot of these have so many factors. And if mm-hmm. one is diagnosed with the disease, it's really just a sign of, Hey, this and this, like it has gotten so far that now is really the time to act. And, mm-hmm. um, like in those cases of people who get diagnosed with cancer and start, you know, you know, the, they might get a terminal diagnosis. Oh, you have two months to live. And they might say, well, all right, I got two months to live. I guess I'm just going to live to my, whatever I wanted to do. There's no Mm -hmm. time to put off now. And they Mm -hmm. do, you know, whatever, maybe they just quit their job and they start painting. Cause what the hell, what's, what's the use? Not, what am I saving for? I'm not going to be there. And then Mm -hmm. they have, you know, so-called spontaneous remission, which it, Mm -hmm. it's like a miraculous recovery and it's well Mm -hmm. reported in the literature of uh, people with uh, certain people that don't even get any treatment, natural or conventional, Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly recovering from, from a cancer that was terminal. Mm -hmm. Who knows why, but that, I think that's a place of medicine and science to look into and see like uh, what, how can this be applied in general and for practitioners uh, who are interested in that to, to, to look that out too, and, and see if there's, mm-hmm. um, some element of, of healing there that could be applied to other people so that they don't mm-hmm. have to go through all the crisis and pain to get the wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. it would be mm-hmm. better if one didn't get, have to get cancer to start living their best life. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be better mm-hmm. if you could do it before, but that's mm-hmm. kind of how life is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, on the, on the topic of, uh, of, you know, going from the mountains back into the city, mm-hmm. uh, there's this pretty, pretty comical uh, quote from Ram Das. I don't know if you mm-hmm. know Ram Das. He said, oh, yeah. <laughs> if, yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, he said, if you think, if you think you're enlightened, just go uh, live at your uh, parents' house for like four weeks and you'll yeah. see like, if you really are. <laughs> and yeah. that's like, yeah, if you, you, you th- like, you know, you think you're so spiritually wise and stuff, like put yourself in a bad situation mm-hmm. and see if that's really true. Because like you said, those antagonists are actually mirrors for us. Right. Right. We- and they're, 
they're triggering something that's still not yet uncovered. Um, or maybe it's something you're working on. Precisely. Precisely. If someone does something ignorant and hateful and you respond by being ignorant and hateful towards them, right. I mean, what kind of game is this? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> what, kind right. of, what kind of game is that exactly? That doesn't, right. but that's of course for, uh, for sound bites and the media, that's far too reasonable to make it onto there. So people right. f- f- fighting um, each other. Yeah. We're all fighting each other and we all hate each other. You know, I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, you know, by this point we've all for whatever belief we have on something have like become on a fringe group or a conspiracy theorist. It's like, we should all just like look around and be like, Hey, like we're all over here now. Like, you know, for like whatever, whatever abnormal portrayed by the media stance that we have like everyone with all the new you know they're not even rules they're just like this is what you Mm -hmm. should be thinking um we're all not there so let's just join one another and be like Mm -hmm. maybe um, you're another person who uh, has a different life than me and and have insights that i don't i don't have (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know if if our um if we were meant to live inside an ideological box i think our Mm -hmm. our our brain would be more square shaped but unfortunately i don't think it it uh it fits in there very well because the second one starts veering off of into dangerous thinking the ideology kicks you back so i think the i think it's there's a war going on of good ideas and bad ideas and not in terms of like morally good or bad but in terms of ideas that lead towards benefit to people and ideas that lead towards destruction to people. And it's not just because someone has taken on a certain viewpoint, whether they consider themselves like this group or that group um, to not forget that at the end of the day, we're all just humans trying to live a good life. And that's really the only thing that matters. And anything that Mm -hmm. gets in the way of that, I think is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I've over the years have been um, called so many different things from like an eco terrorist, uh, <laughs> raging liberal to a Trump supporter to a, it. I'm like, it just depends on the room because everything's a projection. Like if you can go into one room and be like a radical leftist and then another room, a raging Trump supporter, then like all that's left is what I actually am, not people's perceptions of the world and the role they think I play in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating to be, you know, called all the names and then being like, well, I know who I am. And I think, you know, going back to it, that's the time that we're in now. It's like, sit with who you are and be comfortable with everything like the things that you like about yourself the things that you don't like about yourself because they're equally who you are and then once you have that awareness of you know this is what I am this is what I am not you also show up differently in your relationships because then you're not trying to fit these molds that aren't you and don't live up to your expectations you know so and that's And that's like our individual work. It's not our partner's work. It's not our boss's work. It's not our family's work. It's our work. And then when someone says, you know, hey, Shyla, you're scatterbrained sometimes. I'm like, that's true. 
I am mad, you know? And so to be and like, you, no, and, I'm not. And you're mean and judgmental sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then like, no, I'm not. Ooh. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a part of me. Like, I'm also uh, eco terrorist and a Trump, whatever, and uh, whatever. So it's um, it's like that grounding down in yourself that then those projections you can really see clearly like okay this is the projection is this a full projection is this good information for me is like what sort of is this as again like that cloud passing over and not being like oh my gosh now I'm this person that this person says that I am you know like now I'm these things that this person told me that I am and externalizing all of this shit Mm -hmm. because we got to stop doing that. We got to stop externalizing the world and how that makes us because it's just not working. That's, that's a tough one, but we, it's all our, uh, it's all our individual work. And it comes back to these ideas in yogic philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism of the world, the fundamental illusion of the world in terms of duality, like mm-hmm. everything is either hot or cold. Everything is either a or B everything's either light or dark mm-hmm. and not seeing that the world is that world does not exist. That right. everything is just shades. Everything's right. just subtleties and complexities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the reason why there's problems, not because a simple solution isn't sought. It's because there often is not a simple solution for complex problems and understanding right. that and working towards that. I think that's how actual, you know, we make the kind of waves that we think are beneficial in our sphere, our society, our world, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it starts with ourselves. It starts with mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, if you fight, you know, anger with anger, hate with hate, it just makes more of it. So mm-hmm. that, that will never work. So that, that one just mm-hmm. needs to be just tossed to the side as a possibility. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. More understanding conversation, mutual solutions. And uh, mm-hmm. I think everyone will see that generally people are good and, and want the best for even people they don't know. So uh, totally. leaning on the side of uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. um, is, I think, yeah, and showing just yeah. some basic compassion for the situation. Like the person mm-hmm. that, you know, yells at you for this or that, like, like you mm-hmm. were kind of mentioning, maybe they're just having mm-hmm. a bad day and you don't take mm-hmm. it personally. I mean, mm-hmm. If you take it personally, that's, it's kind of your fault. Uh, if mm-hmm. someone insults you and you take it personally mm-hmm. at like the emotional effect of that, of course they initiate that. And that's not mm-hmm. cool. That's, that shouldn't happen if it's preventable, mm-hmm. but if it already mm-hmm. does happen, the, the amount of pain you take on is up to you of how much you identify right. with that, with that pain. Right. Right. And, and yeah. And it's not to say like, I did this interview one time and we were talking about the yoga practice and I was talking about how sometimes in the meditation practice, a part of what comes up is knowing when to tell people to fuck off. Right. <laughs> like there's not this like Zen Buddhist, like, Oh yeah, we're so kind to everyone. Like, of course that's 100% true. But like in the story that you're saying, like with getting, you know, yelled at my response was mind your own fucking business. And so it's like, it's like, knowing how to have that compassion and love, but also have your own boundaries. So it's easier to have that compassion and love, right? You don't need to be people's punching bags, um, but you also don't need to be like just being rude to people just because you're 
yeah. projecting your shit. That's so true. I think that's um, that's a beautiful place to uh, to end this lovely talk. Doctor uh, Shyla Shower has uh, has joined us today to talk about many amazing things. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and thank you so much for being on. Uh, where can people find you uh, your work? So they can find my work at, um, I have a website called sustainablemedicine.online or Instagram sustainable.medicine. Well, your your medicine is very sustainable, I think, from everything <laughs> uh, everything we've talked about. And the, the most sustainable medicine is the one that works and uh, works for, for everyone as an individual. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you so exactly. much. Thank you.